there were threats to come back to our property and petrol bomb the house and then to, you know, um, catch us and um, assault us. And so the personal effects of that really is when we go to the shops and supermarket, we look around to see if any of the group of perpetrators and the group of guys that turn up were there and what would they do. When we drive out into the main streets of town, we would look around for the car that did the burnouts and blocked our entrance on the day. Is the car around and would they ram us or somehow hurt us or damage us? And it's really difficult to live in that way. And also thinking that if something did happen or start to happen and um, we rely on police services, that we may not actually get assistance. So it's not just psychological injury, but an actual sense that our physical safety is at risk and not guaranteed. My name is Deb Chumley. I'm a cisgendered lesbian woman living on Yorta Yorta country. I'm currently the president of Goulburn Valley Pride. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this podcast episode was recorded, the Calithaban lands of the Yorta Yorta Nation, and pay my respect to elders, past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you live, work and play today, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years, and feel privileged to work alongside artists, continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest living cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. This episode you're about to hear is with David and Casey. David and Casey are a gay married couple who have been living in Kyala, Shepparton, for the past three years. They moved to the Shepparton to be closer to Casey's work as a medical officer for a number of rural hospitals. Unfortunately, David and Casey are now considering leaving the country following a recent homophobic attack. That homophobic attack is detailed in this podcast. There are also references to negative police experiences and also acts of racism. If any of these things are triggers for you, perhaps listen at another time or perhaps give this episode a miss. Let's hear from David and Casey. I'm David and I live in Kayala, which is part of Shepparton. I've been here for about three years. Recently we had an event at our house where a mob came and attacked us and um, a fairly horrific experience um, yelling out poofter and the usual sort of slurs and racist slurs and then we had a fairly horrific experience dealing with the police which is still ongoing at the moment so um, we've been in the country for a number of years and we're now looking at um, heading back to the city. (laughs) So... We're making offers on properties in Melbourne and, um, yeah, just we don't feel safe like we used to and we don't feel safe from the attackers or from the police. So, yeah. I'm Karshan, everyone calls me KC, um, David's husband and obviously been through the same events um, with him um, in my other work life, I suppose. Um, I work as the chief medical officer in the region, um, covering a whole lot of rural health services. Um, so Yarrawonga Hospital, Cobram, the American Hospitals, 
Kyabram Hospital and Rochester Hospital in the Mid-Murray region. How did you end up coming to live in this area? Um, well, we were doing a travelling circuit because Casey working, was working at a number of hospitals, Swan Hill, Kilmore, Dalesford, and um, we decided uh, we didn't want to live sort of out of a suitcase and wanted to settle down a bit. So we sort of looked on a map and Shepparton was a sort of central Victorian place. And so we um, made offers on properties and um, got a house on a lake uh, in Shepparton, quite a nice old house. And um, we, we had thought we'd settle down here for a while and sort of slowly do up the house and, you know, have a bit of a breather from everything. And then along comes COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so we were... Um, it was a bit of a difficult time for us and Casey was really busy. So I mean, remember he'd work seven days a week all of winter at one point and with the doctor shortages, sometimes he is the only doctor on in the rural hospitals. So it's just uh, been a really difficult time and although you know we have a bit more freedom now, which is great, it's just difficult for people who work in hospitals. So they're all sort of been retiring early or finding other things to do because there's that, that extra pressure that COVID brings, unfortunately. So, you know, hopefully one day we'll all have some sort of magic vaccine and it'll be a thing of the past like so many other things are. But, yeah, it's just sort of really difficult. And, um, yeah, it's interesting because um, it also, I guess, corresponded with the cluster of hospitals that I really enjoyed working in just before COVID. Um, it has been really challenging for all healthcare workers, obviously, like David said. And there has been some, I guess, personal challenges to, um, in addition to what we just spoke about. I remember at one point um, there was a Nazi Chinese flag going up in the phone tower in Kyabram, basically saying that COVID is um, something that Asians bring. And um, then all the Asian doctors in Kyabram were like, oh my God, like, are we safe working here? Um, and there's other stuff like, you know, um, threats to be sued because of COVID vaccine conspiracies and doctors were getting contacted individually and essentially threatened. So that wasn't very attractive. And then we were just getting out of COVID when, yeah, what David just spoke about with the mob coming in and trying to come into our house um, happened. Wow. So tell me about that event So, recently. So we were, my brother was coming um, and his family, we were preparing a little Christmas gathering because we were going to be away on Christmas Day overseas. And um, these people just started shouting and screaming and um, other people who were living with us at the time were sort of frightened and they sort of want us to move the car and we thought, oh, that's strange because the car's not blocking anyone. I, I just don't know what this is about. And... Um, Eventually the words cocksucker, pufta, um, they knew our names. Um, they grabbed large garden stakes, uh, tree stakes from the park because we live by a park and threw them at us trying to kill us. There was a group of guys come that said they're going to sexually assault us, made threats to sexually assault us, blocked our driveway. Um, they knew our name as well. Um, they went into our property, they were trying to get in. We had the car smashed up we had the garage door smashed up we couldn't actually leave our property so in effect we were hostage i guess and we were gathering the knives and preparing you know what, what the what the hell comes next as these people um if they gain entry casey was on the phone to the police a number of times and they just weren't coming 
it was quite terrifying. So we, we, we didn't know any of them. And suddenly all these people, you know, what was a very peaceful, relaxing afternoon of baking stuff and cooking stuff became really horrific. And then later on, you know, when the police did finally come, it was fairly horrible. So one, one of the police people would say that we instigated it. And so fortunately we had everything captured on 4K cameras and audio and, um, you know, it was it was just really horrific. And then Casey had planned with a sergeant to make, go down and give an interview. We couldn't do it on that day because we were just so traumatised. You know, my brother's turned up to the scene of police cars and everything and his family and the, you know, geez, it's a pretty rough area. And um, it, it was just really awful. So we went down to make the planned statement a few days later and um, the sergeant decided to put a camera on us and not do a statement and, you know, just a process of intimidation. And then he's, the sergeant said he'd do all these things, and he didn't. And so Casey wrote a complaint to the senior sergeant, and the senior and th then this, um, this sergeant rang up, you know, making threats to Casey and abusing him, and I just felt, God, you know, what have we done? I mean, it's been so hard for us with COVID and everything. We've done the right thing by society, you know, you move to the country and you want to settle down and help the community, and, you know, we do you know, so many different hospitals, small hospitals that don't have access to people like Casey normally. And, and it was it was working out for a while. And then, you know, suddenly all of that um, is shattered. So we felt really, really unsafe by the police. And, you know, that, you know, you can complain to IBAC and everything else, and that'll be two years down the track. We had to get a solicitor and we told the police only to go through our solicitor because, you know, we were so concerned about the threats and everything from the sergeant. And we're the victims, but we have to go and pay a solicitor. <laughs> so the solicitor got all the footage and got the audio. So um, the solicitor's going through everything at the moment. But um, it, it, it's just really awful. And so when we're overseas, we get all these harassing messages from police. And we told them, only go through our solicitor. If you want to talk to us, talk to our solicitor. We're going overseas. So we couldn't even relax when we were in Japan. We went to Taiwan. We couldn't relax. So it was just a really harrowing, harrowing experience. So we thought, you know, bugger it, we, we're out of here. You know, if we can't live in the community safely, then and you lose that sense of peace and tranquility, then, you know, we live in a... We've got a lake in front of the house. We're fortunate. We've got parkland. We've got a big old house we were going to do up and, you know, look at YouTube and try and learn how to do this, that and the other. It was, it was going to be a nice experience. You know, Shepparton is not too far from Melbourne. But, um, you know, these people are yelling out racist slurs. It just reminded me of the initial stuff with COVID and Casey at the hospital. So online people would attack him and say all sorts of horrible things about him. But no one had any interest in that. I, I tracked them down, some of them, and rang them up and told them off. How dare they talk to my husband like that? And, you know, they're quite shocked and cowards when you talk to them. But um, it's just it's just been incident after incident. And so now we sort of feel that, um, you know, we've got to worry about our future and, you know, who wants to look over their shoulder? And, and you don't want to live in a country town where you've got some angry sergeant chasing you or whatever. And, you know, we found out later that some of the group was linked to a small church. Um, I don't think that's a reflection of Christianity or, th or the church. I think that's just a reflection of the individuals involved. So it, it's just, uh, it's a really harrowing, harrowing experience to have to go through. And obviously I'm still traumatised and looking over my shoulder sometimes. 
and you know certain sounds trigger me and people outside our house talking or whatever can trigger me and you know I've had to see a psychologist so it's just really really awful and you know even the one of the police prosecutors would leave a message saying you know um are you referring to the whole incident as some woman who smashed our car it's like no understanding of the gravity of what happened and trying to diminish it all to a little bit of criminal damage um it was almost like the feeling was that um sections of the police at the police station felt we deserved it and on reflection you know when we walked into the police station there was no rainbow flags in the foyer and you know Casey's a doctor and that we've been to other police stations in country towns and there's always a little rainbow flag somewhere so it's sort of like what is this place you know how how did it get so out of touch with reality and we thought if that's the tone of the police station you know we're in all sorts of strife oh i suppose um because there were threats to come back to our property and petrol bomb the house and then to you know um catch us and um assault us and so the personal effects of that really is when we go to the shops and supermarket we look around to see if any of the group of perpetrators and the group of guys that turn up were there and what would they do? When we drive out into the main streets of town, we would look around for the car that did the burnouts and blocked our entrance on the day. Is the car around and would they ram us or somehow hurt us or damage us? And it's really difficult to live in that way. And also thinking that if something did happen or start to happen and um, we rely on police services that we may not actually get assistance. So it's not just psychological injury, but an actual sense that our physical safety is at risk and not guaranteed. And from my perspective, the really hurtful thing actually is, I remember the COVID waves and at one point, um, in 2021, I was working 22 weekends in a row with, you know, the contact tracing and the community health protection and the actual provision of clinical care. Like, you know, we get paid well for it as doctors, but I would like to think that, you know, it's a valued service that has been provided to society that we probably, you know, um, deserve a little bit better. <laughs> Do you think that had the police reacted in a completely different way as in the way they should have, yep. do yes. you think that you would reconsider the... Yeah, we, yeah we I would. We, we wouldn't be looking at moving. It, it is that thing that, you know, in a country town you're isolated and you do rely on the police. And in a country town, it's not like the city where you have all those degrees of separation. There's often one degree of separation. There's often one or two supermarkets you see people at. So it's very different to um, the city. So you are much more vulnerable. And if you can't rely on a local police service for protection, then you're a sitting duck. So, you know, who want, it's, it's sort of like law of the jungle, isn't it? If I'm bigger and stronger, I can be comfortable. If I'm not, then I can't be comfortable. And I'm, I'm sure Shepparton has some good, hard-working police, but the leadership doesn't seem to have a clue what a prejudice-motivated attack is and um, have sought to diminish it and almost act as though somehow we deserve it. It's just incredibly frustrating. If police had responded properly we wouldn't be in this situation. I mean, for me personally, my first partner, um, we moved to Melbourne from the country. I'm from the country near Wodonga. He got bashed and then died. 
and it was a pretty horrific experience back then dealing with the police this was the early 90s and this sort of brings it all back up it's like you know there are sections of society that just haven't changed and you see that now you know in report after report even the way the police treat each other from the human rights and equal opportunity commission they have a long way to go and we've lived you know swan hill and other areas and you know sometimes there's been issues but the community and police response is very very different and so you know you stay you realize well that's you know there are idiots in society and you know my partner got bashed in melbourne and died that, that can happen in a big city as well but it's just um it's just a it takes me back to those days and those times like i said the not having the rainbow flag in the police station was really powerful for me because it sort of set the tone um the council here voted not to fly a rainbow flag and i thought that was pretty extraordinary you know what, what was to be feared by having a message to say rainbow communities are welcome and our our council we we encourage that we encourage all people that was simply the message that um could have been put out there so it's like a series of things from you know you've got local government sort of against you and then you've got the police against you you can't stay in that sort of area and living around in different parts of victoria other other councils are just not like that other police services are just not like that they really get it so I wouldn't say it's a reflection on all of country Victoria, but I would say there's a long way to go in Shepparton before um, the Shepparton police station gets what, what happened to us. And it's not just a matter of someone disabling our garage door and kicking it in and, you know, smashing up our car, which, you know, your car in a rural area, you need a car, you don't have public transport like in Melbourne. It's there's just such a long way to go and I'm just really shocked that you know yes you can go to IBAC and fight them for years and years and they'll probably get disciplined or whatever but you know in the meantime what do you do when you if you come under attack again you know you, you can't rely on those police so you know I worry about Casey Casey worries about me mm. you know you're just so vulnerable in a country area and um it's it's just so incredibly disappointing the um response to date by by the police so i just really expected more you know like i said we a lot of the work casey did for the covid and all that wasn't paid you know it was it was voluntary um some of it was paid and you know you're really bending over backwards for the community and for the health services we did have terrific support from some of the health services so that that was really good and you know the offer to have alternative accommodation in another town an alternative vehicle um at Kyabram, for instance that was fantastic but it's just you just feel so off and i'm not sure you know we're moving to the city again we might still work in just those towns um, we're not sure yet. We're still contemplating everything and still digesting everything that happened. So it's just so, it just really throws you. So it's sort of like almost your right stop at the Western Ring Road sometimes. They don't go further. And, you know, you see the police marching in pride and you think, why? Why would you march in pride? Because you're not a proud organisation. So a long way to go. And from my perspective, the really... Um ambivalent and disappointing thing I suppose is apart from being gay and being a Hong Konger a key third platform of my identity is actually medicine and I see it as a calling not just as a career and if anything all the health services um, that I work for just like anywhere else 
Um, the medical and nursing workforce shortages are worse than ever. Clinical demands are more than ever, and we're all falling behind more than ever. And I really want to because my organisations are so supportive. Um, and appreciative of what I do to really continue to work with them and、um, give 110%, and this really makes it very difficult. I am hoping to work in rural health still.、Um, I really do see it as、um, a calling, and where、um, I'm uniquely sort of motivated and experienced and skilled、um, to be able to make a contribution to the community. And I mean, this is really sad that you're. Well, we, I, know, I know you're not leaving rural health altogether, but. Um, because there's a real shortage, isn't there, of of doctors in rural areas? Oh, it's areas. been worse.、Um, yeah. Through the pandemic, doctors and nurses say in the late fifties and early sixties that would、um, in the past have worked through and have left early. Healthcare professionals have opted to go part time or more part time, and the work has actually increased both in terms of. Um, patients needing to be seen in the time that it takes to look after people.、Um, so even getting dressed in full PPEs because someone has confirmed a suspected COVID, it takes ages to look after that person because of those precautions,、um, and rightly so. And so the need really is there, and it's more and more desperate. And、um, I would really hate to leave my work under those circumstances. You have experienced not only like, oh, this is a you know homophobic behaviour,、mm. but racial.、Behavior. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the Kaibram incident was unfortunate with the Chinese and the Nazi flag and the COVID from the Chinese community. That was really unattractive, and there's also been the、um, suggestion that、um, COVID is a Asian thing. And it goes all the way from individual patient interactions, all the way through to local and、um, even media nationally.、Um, that is a Wuhan pneumonia initially.、Um, that whenever there's pictures、um, about COVID and lockdown, to me,、um, I find that it generally features pictures of Asian people in the city. And so there's a lot of, you know, subtext that、um, Asians are dirty and. Um, are responsible for all of this suffering, <laughs> um, and look, I guess I complain about it, and I don't think it's acceptable. I don't want to ever accept it, but I'm also not naive. So, all through my career, I've had patients from time to time, rarely,、um, ask for a white doctor. Has Doctor Casey actually?、Um, where did he graduate? You know, what country?、Um, and you have to say, well, that'll be the University of Melbourne in Melbourne, Australia. So you know there are ridiculous stuff like that、um, through my whole career too. What do you think is needed to change people's attitudes, open people's minds, make people make sure that people feel safe? I think that、um, government has a role to play, and at the moment they've sort of ignored it and pretended that、um, it doesn't exist or everything's awesome in country areas.、And、I think that you know the council can't change by themselves. The、um, the police can't change by themselves. It, it takes a minister who gets it. It takes a premier who gets it. You know, it's great to have all these rainbow events and pride centre and this that and the other in the city, but um in the country it can sometimes be very very isolating for some people, and much like they had, I remember um life be in it the the sort of program that they had years ago, 
to be healthy. There are things that governments can do to create positive change in the community and sell some of the good stories that happen in rural Australia and the reason why you want um, a diverse community because when you, when you stop diversity in a community, you deny the community of things like doctors and other people who and nurses and you know engineers and you 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 deny a section to come to a community and live in a community because it doesn't make everyone available to the community so it's fundamental to sort of who we are and i think that a, a government campaign is long overdue and especially what people of asian appearance have been through i remember even at the supermarket here someone didn't want to serve casey and you know it was at the height of lockdowns and everything when covid was fresh and new and you know it was just really really insulting and he, he'd get very different you know the the white people waiting in line would get very very different treatment to casey and you know it's just you, you need a lot of um like casey was saying about the media showing people of asian appearance whenever there's a COVID story and and, and the implications that they're dirty or somehow carry COVID. you need it it's long overdue a government campaign to sell diversity and inclusion to um, rural communities and, and Melbourne as well. So what's to be gained by all of us being treated equally and what's to be lost by us not um, treating each other equally? And I think, you know, harking back to that Life Be In It program, past governments have been able to do stuff and it seems a bit of a brick wall at the moment with um, progressive governments and it doesn't matter which side of politics, there just seems to be a bit of a brick wall about it or, you know, you march in pride and that's it, that's everything done and completed but, you know, even the rainbow certification for nursing homes, hardly any nursing homes, state-run nursing homes have that certification. Why is that? Why do we accept that? So there's a lot more role I think government needs to do in, um, to create change and create that message because you know a little old regional council or little old hospital or little old regional police station they can't do it they haven't got the resources so the resources come from government so and, and ministers and premiers have to take it far more seriously than just marching in pride or you know a tick tick on a box somewhere it only happens by funding regional organisations who to provide services as well. It it just seems like um, there's a lot of money in Melbourne, but you know what, 15-20% of people live in rural Victoria, and they're not actually getting that share of funding. So I just think that if if organisations in rural, rainbow organisations in rural communities were funded a lot more, you'd see a lot more um, inclusiveness in rural communities of rainbow communities. Yeah, would you like to say something? Cassie? Oh, it really, I think, has to be a whole of um, government and whole of society approach, I think. Um, so um, there's always little initiatives. Like I know in health, we're all meant to have LGBT action plans, which if there is a few willing staff in a hospital could be quite meaningful, but generally it's a little bit of an annual reporting exercise and that's probably about it. So those initiatives really need to be more comprehensive and held accountable and meaningful. Um, and obviously not just in health, but also like David said, local government, police, ambulance, fire services, a whole lot. And a really sort of, I think, alliance, collaborative, interagency approach involving private sector and community organisations as well to bring whole communities along. It just doesn't happen by itself, as David indicated. Mm, I know, and it, it requires some um, individuals to really step up 
doesn't it? Like to actually yes. go, well, I'm going to go against the grain and I'm going to step up. And even if it targets me, I've got some, you know, some people, even this council, councillors here in Shepparton, I'm sure if one of them or two of them or three of them actually stood up and said, this is not okay. Absolutely. And I think it needs to be shared because otherwise the personal costs and the energy required is overwhelming. Um, I remember back about 20 years ago, David and I um, fought the state in relation to um, medical officers when we get rotated out to rural rotations that same-sex couples can have family accommodation as well, um, not just heterosexual couples. And um, we initially lost, but through the engagement of um, bodies like the Australian Medical Association and Human Rights Commission, both states and federal, um, the following year the medical award was actually amended. But um, by then, you know, it was a very difficult um, professional period for me where I offended a lot of senior people in health. And so individuals absolutely should stand up, but it needs to be a whole group of individuals. Because you need to know that people have got your back, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Otherwise you become so, a target. So that, that, That's in this day and age. I can't believe that... Oh, 20 years ago, this example. Okay. But, um, but um, well within living memory, and amazing really that we were good enough to work and be rotated out on a short-term arrangement to a country hospital, but... Um, that we would not be, or we would be denied um, family accommodation. Yeah, we were quite disgusted back then, so Casey didn't do the rotation, so the hospital was short a doctor in emergency, so people waited longer in emergency. It was it was just incredible that the award at the time would say that, and I think Tony Abbott was the health minister, you know, so it was really hard, and Casey paid a heavy price for that, you know, just for standing up and saying, I want to be treated as heterosexual doctors. Um, it was just not the thing to do back then. But, you know, he, he left his internship and then um, later went back to it when things had changed and only when things had changed. And so it was it was a difficult, difficult time. And I remember some hospitals, rather than employ Casey, would get someone from overseas breaking the government policy because as soon as they have that discussion about your partner, which they shouldn't do at interviews, but they did, you know, all of a sudden, Casey said, you know, their jaws dropped and, you know, it was too much for them. So it was, you know, we tried to form alliances with people in the Department of Health who understood and um, they were very helpful and um, in sorting out these issues for us. But it was a very difficult time. So Casey left and did other things and left medicine because, you know, who wants to be treated as a second class doctor? when you're exactly the same, you have the same skills, you provide the same service, the only difference is who you sleep with at night. And um, I remember being shocked that um, this medical director at the time wrote back and said, you know, because the award says this and you can't, if you can provide a marriage certificate, and knowing that we can't actually provide a marriage certificate, I mean, how disgusting was that? And, you know, it's just, it's a long history of discrimination, but... And prior, just prior to this current, this most recent incident, how were you feeling? How were you both feeling living here in Shepparton? Um, well, we were sort of liked that it was central and um, we could go to access lots of places around Shepparton. And we were sort of, you know, chugging along, renovating the house and, you know, painting walls and looking at YouTube clips and gardening. And, you know, we had some lovely neighbours and things like that. Um, so it was... 
we're sort of quite settled and thinking, you know, maybe the next 10 years or whatever until we sort of approach retirement, then we, then we might move on. But if we weren't actually looking at leaving before this incident. So, but, you know, after this incident, it makes you question stuff. And, you know, then when we couldn't even have a holiday and just relax and, and you know, put it in perspective, we couldn't even do that. So we are just really, really disappointed. And, you know, to date... The police still haven't bothered to call back our solicitor. So and you just think, why? Why would where would that happen anywhere else? So it's just it's it's really just rocked us and we just can't we can't click back to normal. It's a bit surreal everything at the moment. We'd like to go to the Pride Ball tomorrow that's been organised by a local gay group and it's a GLBTIQ group, I should say, Rainbow Community Group. And we we don't feel comfortable. You know, we don't know if there'll be police turning up or whatever. We just don't feel comfortable. And, you know, I heard the local members going to be there. Well, that was the same local member who voted against flying a rainbow flag when she was mayor. So, you know, you think, what are we rubber? You know, why would you even turn up to that event if you didn't believe in flying a rainbow flag? So it's just, I don't know, it's just made us question a lot of things and, you know, We've got to have comfortable weekends. We don't want to look over our shoulder. So, you know, we just go to a space where it doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, you can hide away in Melbourne a lot doing that, um, where you're not judged by your sexuality, um, but, you know, the content of your character and what you contribute to society generally. And, you know, I would like to think one day Shepparton will get there, but at the moment it's not for us. So um, we're, we're leaving. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, before the incident, um, we weren't aware that there's such an undercurrent of risk in both um, what the community can do and the police response. And I had thought that Shepparton would be our base for most or much of my remaining career. And I'm only mid-career. But I think um, whilst I'm still very keen um, to serve the hospitals that I currently work in and certainly rural health uh, more broadly, I think it's a place where we live and spend our personal time. It really can't be Shepparton. Yeah, it's, it's sort of hard because you develop a negative view of the world a bit. And then, like Casey was saying, you know, we had thought we were a bit safer. We didn't realise the risk was actually huge for some of us. And we just processing all that, just in, incredible. Like, we knew not, not everybody in the community loves us, but you know, most of the community is okay. Like people say, oh, well, country is a redneck area. So we get a lot of, um, why do you, well, what do you expect you move to the country? You know, from Melbourne, our friend, some of our friends in Melbourne, you know, this is the country. You know, why do you think I left the country? And it's, it's when you think about it, well, okay, country people voted for marriage equality. Most of them didn't have any interaction with any gay person or lesbian person or trans person or queer person they or intersex person that, but they voted for marriage equality. In Melbourne, you had far more chance of interacting with someone in your daily life who was from a rainbow community. So in fact, when country people thought about it, they actually voted for it and they voted for what was right. So it's not actually a, a statement about all country areas being redneck extreme areas. It's about some organisations are just not up to the job at the moment. Um, it's not a mark on all the people of Shepparton. It's a mark on the organisations that are there to protect Shepparton, like the police, like the council. So I, I, I just 
I don't want people to think that, you know, oh, it's a really shit area. I, I just want to say that for us, we're not comfortable because we're exposed to risk from this mob and we don't want to have to look over our shoulder for police and we don't want to have to look our shoulder for some angry mob that doesn't like gay people. So, and it, it is that thing in a country town, they know you by a few few degrees of separation you know they knew Casey was a doctor they they mentioned it and yet they still did everything they did so when they were screaming and raving they mentioned he was a doctor they went on about him being Chinese so there was that racism as well you know I fear for Casey and Casey fears for me you know and I'm sure there's really good police at the police station and we haven't heard from them yet so but at the moment the management we have heard from and the message is loud and clear to us that somehow we deserve this to happen to us and, you know, so we're making that decision to leave. I think the um, concerning thing is, and reflecting on my own medical practice, um, I can intensely dislike someone. Um, so someone could be that person who um, is racist, um, who might have abused their children, who might have um, assaulted their spouse, but I would still provide medical treatment for that person. And... You know, um, I think it is important that there is a professionalism. Frankly, you know, um, I don't expect police officers to be our closest mates. Um, they can disapprove of us and our identity, who we are, but they are actually paid by the public purse to provide a service, and we deserve that service. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, and I can totally understand why you would not feel safe, given the reaction of the What police. happened and mm-hmm. yeah, the response. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming in and sharing this. It's really important. There are individuals who have such a... They can have such a negative... An entrenched and that's, in fact, you know, um, unaccountable. Mm -hmm. I reflect on how in health um, there was that challenge um, to hospital management and involving the Department of Health and the Australian Medical Association 20 years ago and how if you talk to anyone in health now, it would be considered absolutely abhorrent and unthinkable. I hope that one day more of our community can move on in the same fashion. Definitely. I hope so too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. (laughs) My pleasure. Yeah, I really hope that you can live peacefully and safely. Uh, Safety is just paramount to living, you know, a good life. This podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pridefinder, the Rainbow Road Trip was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pride Finder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA plus Victorians to help capture their unique stories. These conversations are frank, honest and reflect the language, thoughts, history and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes. 